About 10 years ago, October the 13th, 2010, it was a date that will likely be forever sketched in our memory. It was one of those days where you can always look back and realize where you were when the news story broke. About 69 days earlier, a significant cave-in in a gold and copper mine in San Jose, Chile, left 33 miners stuck, trapped, 2,300 feet below the Earth's surface. We would find out in the weeks and days that would follow that this mine had been somewhat defined by its troubled past. We would find out that it had claimed the lives of eight people in its roughly 20-year existence, but that this day it looked as if in this moment it would have its most tragic day. Search and rescue workers were brought in from all over the countryside to see if anyone might have survived this cave-in. Eight massive holes were drilled into this cave to see if they could make contact with anyone who might have gotten to some kind of shelter and somehow survived the cave-in. And 17 days into the search and rescue mission, On the end of a drill bit was a letter that read, We are well in the shelter, signed the 33. You can imagine the celebration that probably broke out at this mine site as people would realize that somehow, some way, these 33 men had survived the collapse. The word began to get around all around Chile and neighboring countries alike and eventually all around the world that these guys are still alive and somehow sought shelter. All of humanity would begin to leverage our resources together to not just devise a plan that would find out that they are alive, but instead we would devise a plan how we would rescue them from the mine and bring them to the light at the surface. Teams were actually established and put together just to prepare the site for the rescuers to show up so they could do their job. NASA would actually get involved. They would try their hand at devising a plan in effort to be able to rescue the 33 men who are trapped below the earth's surface and bring them up without a collapse all around them, ending in impending death. And 69 days into this journey, I remember sitting on the couch and watching CNN as the first man was rescued and brought to the earth's surface. And he kissed the ground and he kissed his family and hugged his family in celebration that he was now alive. And when the 33rd miner, one by one by one by one, when the 33rd miner was brought above to the earth's surface, the paramedics who had gone down just to take care of the 33 in the midst of their shelter, the paramedics would hold up a sign that said, mission accomplished. And when the miners got out of the mine site, they eventually went around and they traveled all around to the late night talk shows and the news channels and the newspapers and they told their story. And it was on the front page of all of these channels and all of these stories and everybody was enthralled with their story. And for a while, we were glued to television sets and glued to newspapers. But eventually what was a front page story became the second page. And then the third page, and eventually the last page, 
and out of the news altogether. CNN would follow up with these <clears throat> CNN would follow up with the 33 miners about a year or so later. And what they would find out was that although many of them had adjusted quite normally to being rescued from this cave, there were several who didn't have such a lucky moment. One had been arrested multiple times for domestic abuse. Others dealing with panic, anxiety, depression. And one guy was building a wall around his house. And when the reporter asked him the question why, he had no earthly idea why he was building the wall. You see, the difficulty for the miners was not just being rescued from darkness, but it was how would they adjust to walking in the light? How do we adjust as believers to not just being rescued from darkness, but how do we adjust to walking in the light? How do we adjust to being set free to walk in the light of Christ? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 would call freedom this. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How are we to be set free to be able to walk in the light of Christ? I think we need to understand what freedom is and what freedom is not. You see, freedom is not the ability to do what you want. If that is the definition of freedom, I know a whole lot of people who do what they want, say what they want, go where they want, do whatever they feel like is good. They feel like they have the freedom to be able to do, but they find themselves in incredible bondage and in captivity. So freedom is not the ability to do what you want. Freedom is the capability to be who you were created to be. Who you were created to be. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace that we are set free. We are set free from darkness. Verse 10 would go on to say, We are his handiwork, God's handiwork, his poema, his masterpiece. In other words, the gospel not only frees us from the captivity of darkness, but it also frees us to walk in the light or to walk in the way that we were created to be, his poema, his masterpiece. The gospel not only rescues you from darkness, but it frees you to walk in the light. Romans chapter 8, verse 2 would say it this way. Because in Christ Jesus, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. John 8, verse 12, Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but I, or excuse me, but will have the light of life. We were intended to walk with Jesus in the freedom that only he can give, but we were not created to walk that journey alone. We were not created to do life alone. In fact, we were created for community. It's about walking in and adjusting to the light, what it means to walk in that. See, here's the deal. You are free. I am free. We all are free to fill our calendars with whatever we want. 
We can fill our calendars with this thing and that thing and that thing and this thing. And we can, along the way, abandon the things that God actually designed for us to fill our calendars with. We're free to do those things, right? We are free. But in order to be who you were created to be, you need the community of others. You can't do it alone. This is the very kind of thing that we're going to read about this morning in the book of Proverbs. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there to the book of Proverbs. But to understand a little bit of backstory, we've been in a series where we're diving into the book of Proverbs. Here's kind of a, a nutshell of, uh, of the history, if you will, or the, the, the snapshot of the book of Proverbs. It's written by a guy named Solomon. It fits into the category of, liz, of, of wisdom literature, and it's intended to convey the value of wisdom and why we should walk in that wisdom every single day. Wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord. It began that way in the book of, uh, of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2 and following. And here's what it says. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words, for receiving instruction, Doing what is right, verse 4. Giving prudence and knowledge and discretion to the young, verse 5. Listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Being wise is related to information, but it's more than just information. Just because we have a whole lot of information doesn't equate to us being wise. We can fall into this trap where we just read about God's word or we read God's word and maybe even we talk about it with other people or we talk about it with our family. We can fall into the trap where we read it and we talk about it, but we don't do it. We can read it, we can talk about it, we can check this box, we can check that box, we can do all these things, but we don't do anything to put it into action. James would actually warn us about the dangers of that very practice. He would say in James chapter 1, verse 22, don't just listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Jesus would later come on the scene, right? And he would say, give us a great commission. And he would give us a great commission. And he would say, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And oh, by the way, you're not in it alone. I am with you. You see, he doesn't want us just to read that. He wants us to do that. He doesn't just want us to talk about it. He wants us to do that. It's more than just information. We must do what he says. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to live it. What do we do when things sound easy, but they act hard? What do we do when we read it and we're like, yeah, I got that. I can do that, right? I can at least talk about that. But I don't really want to step into that and actually get my hands dirty and do that. What do we do when something sounds easy but does difficult? That's the very thing that Solomon is talking about here this morning. And here's what he says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. He says this, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Iron doesn't sharpen itself. Eventually, it's going to become dull and useless and likely rusty, right? It's not going to sharpen itself just by sitting over in a corner. Old Testament times, iron was sharpened so that both tools could become more effective. One piece of iron doesn't sharpen itself. It's got to have the presence of another. Something that's 
that, that's harder, of a harder substance, something that's, that's, that's better, that understands it a little bit more, right? The iron has to sharpen the iron. In similar manner, one man who's stronger in faith has to sharpen another to become stronger. It's what we read about in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. As iron is sharpened, it's scraped, it's refined, and it's restored to the purpose for which it was created. It happens in community. And this simple Proverbs illustrates an incredibly important biblical principle for us this morning, is that God expects us to live and serve in a community of other believers. Just for a moment, I want us to step into the room where iron is being sharpened, where iron is sharpening iron. Can you imagine what it must sound like? Can you imagine what it must look like? Can you imagine as the chaos is happening here of these two metals clanging together and sparks are flying, what you hear and what you see, it looks like utter chaos. Here's a few things that I've learned about community, driving home what it looks like for us. When chaos happens, community comes through. When chaos happens, community comes through. A few months ago, my wife and I moved, and my kids, my family, moved to Northwest Arkansas from Houston. We did that to join the staff team here at Grace Point, where I oversee the groups, among lots of other things that I get the privilege of doing, and I'm super grateful. My wife and I returned home several weeks ago to Houston, where we would think that we would have a relatively uneventful week for the movers to show up, pack the house, load the boxes, load the truck. We'll close on our house and we'll eventually come back to Northwest Arkansas to join our family and close on our home here and eventually work the process in reverse. Only to find out that the movers on moving day would show up, walk the house, quit the job before ever even starting it, get in the truck and drive away a 53-foot semi empty, leaving us in utter chaos and crisis mode. After a few tears and a few more tears, and honestly, a few more tears, my wife and I had to piece together a plan in how in the world we were going to be able to do everything that had to get done in 48 hours so we can get out of our house in order to be able to close. We bought boxes, lots of boxes. We got on the phone and we asked for help from who? from our community, from our group, from our friends who we've done life and ministry together for almost eight years. And 15 of them, true story, stopped what they were doing in the middle of a work day and for the next 48 hours came to our home, masked up and packed box after box after box and loaded two U-Haul trucks so that we could ultimately close on time, and drive the said U-Haul trucks all the way back to Northwest Arkansas. It was utter chaos. But I'll be honest with you. Some of the memories that came out of that, not the kind of memories that we thought we would have, right? Some incredible, precious moments where our community stepped up in the midst of chaos. When chaos happens, community 
comes through. It comes through, but it does more than that. And it's a process of iron sharpening iron. There's care needed. There's cultivation needed. There's precision that's needed. Right here, whenever iron is being sharpened, when care is needed, community comes through. Back in May, kind of six weeks, eight weeks or so after the start of this pandemic that one day we'll actually be out of, I'm 100% behind that. I just don't know when. We just don't know when, right? But back in May, needless to say, our high school seniors got the short end of the stick. Think back to those moments. There's no high school graduation. There's no high school prom. There's no normal end of the year school activities. And our church asked our people to step up and adopt, if you will, a high school senior who would be participating normally in graduation. In the week of the originally scheduled graduation, one of our groups stepped up and went above and beyond the call of duty. And day in and day out, they went to this high school senior's house. They sat in her driveway. They prayed with her. They talked with her. They brought her special gifts of encouragement. Why? Because she needed care. And community came through. When care is needed, community comes through. When chaos happens, community comes through. It's also true with cultivation. When cultivation is needed, community comes through. We all need growth. If we're not growing, we're dying. I'm reminded of the picture of the pruning of trees or the pruning of shrubs. Why do we do that? So that it can return healthy. The old is, is chopped away, right? So the new buds can come in the spring. That's why we do that. But guess what? It's painful to chop trees way back so that ultimately they can grow. But here's what other thing that I learned is that pain always precedes progress. Pain always precedes progress. It's true with working out. It's true with lifting weights. It's true when you're learning to drive. Parents, you've all been there. When you're teaching someone how to drive, they're at 10 and 2, their foot's on the gas, their foot's on the brake, but they don't quite know how to brake like smoothly. And so they're sending everybody's head like this, you know what I'm talking about? And then maybe their reaction's a little bit slower than you would like it. And so you're sitting in the passenger side. You've all been there right now. You visualize, you know what I'm talking about. You're sitting in the passenger side and he's a little slow or she's a little slow in stomping on the brakes. And what do you do? <laughs> Only to find out you don't have air brakes on your side, right? They're invisible. But eventually you can take a nap when they get to drive in like 40, right? Eventually, when they turn 40, you can, you can take naps while they drive. Progress. But in the beginning, it's painful. My son is an, an incredible musician. He plays the oboe, and he has for years. When he started to play the oboe, let me tell you something. You want to talk about pain we would send him to the other end of the house, lock the door, and we would all congregate as far away as we possibly could. It was painful. But over the years, he's been linked up with multiple private lesson teachers who are far superior musicians than he is, who are encouraging him, who are spurring him on, who are helping him as he plays. And now not only do we enjoy listening to him play, but when he plays, my neighbors actually come out of the house to listen to him play as well. There's pain before progress, always. When care 
is needed, when cultivation is needed, or when chaos happens, community comes through. So how in the world does all this play out? What does it mean for Grace Point? In other words, how are we free to walk in the light? How are we free to be who God has created us to be? Jesus actually reminds us of that very freedom. And he reminds us that it actually begins with loving our neighbor as ourself. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. It's so simple. And Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he comes back with not just one, but two. He says, love God and love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul would later echo this. He would say, if you want to be free, if you want to walk in freedom, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians chapter five, he would say, you, my brothers and sisters, you are called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, to just do what you want, but serve one another in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed. Paul's saying if you want to be free, if you want to walk in freedom, you have to love your neighbor. So what about Grace Point? We say we want to help you know God, love people, and live sent. How in the world does all this happen? We believe it happens in a group. We believe it happens in community, because you're created for community. We believe it happens in a group, moving quickly. What is a group? A group is a group of people who are committed to meet together, to grow together, to study God's word together, and to do life together. Groups at Grace Point exist to develop a deeper relationship with God, to experience community, and to serve together and share their faith with others. Simply put, Grace Point groups exist to know God, love people, and live sent. Groups can be autonomous. You can make up however it is that you would choose to make up in a lot of different ways. Groups can be autonomous in the who. Who makes up your groups? Is it couples? Is it singles? Is it men's? Is it women's? Is it young marrieds? Is it a plethora of all the different ages? Is it, um, is it a, is it a uh, financial piece? Is it, is it divorce care? There's a number of different things that can make up your group. Groups can be autonomous in the what, what they choose to study. You want to study sermon discussion questions on Sundays. Do you want to study um, a specific book of the Bible? Do you want to study chronologically through the Bible? Do you want to study short-term different studies that are out there and different curriculums that are, that are out there? You're autonomous in the what. You're autonomous in the when, when you choose to study, when you choose to meet. Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, any other day that ends in Y. You are completely up to make that decision on your own as a group. Autonomous in the where. Do you want to meet at somebody's house? Do you want to meet at Starbucks? Do you want to meet at wherever, at the bike trail? You can meet wherever. You can be autonomous in the how you choose to meet. Do we meet on Zoom? Do we meet in person? Do we meet every week? Do we meet every other week? Do we meet three times a month? What and how, who, what, when, where, and how. But you're not autonomous in the why. Because if Grace Point Church exists 
to help you know God and love people and live sin, then it has to be the heartbeat of groups. It has to be. And if it's not, then it's probably not a Grace Point group to begin with. Groups and group leaders will be equipped by the staff and the leadership of our church. We expect that in turn you will support the leadership and you'll support the direction. We're working on this. It's a work in progress. It's not a final version. We understand that. It's not perfect. We want groups to have an open seat philosophy. We always want there to be a seat that's left open for someone who walks in. Why? Because we want everyone to be and feel welcome. We want to say, you belong here. What if we took on the mentality that we exist for those who are not here yet, that we exist to help those walk in freedom of the light? What if we did that? But I like my group. I like it. It's, I, I know the people. I like it just the way it is. What happens if my group gets huge? Hold on to those thoughts for just a moment. But my simple challenge to you is this. If you would change your seat, you would likely change your perspective. What now? Let me speak really practically for just a moment, if you would. What now? We have a need for new groups. We have people who are out there who want community and therefore want a group, but we don't have enough groups to supply the demand. So if we need more groups, we've got to have more people to lead said groups. We need more group leaders. My question to you is, would you pray about starting a group? Would you pray about multiplying from your existing group? Why? So that we can help others walk in the freedom that they were created to walk in. But I don't know how to do that. What does that even look like? We're going to help you We'll equip you. We'll walk the journey with you. You're not in it alone. If you're interested and you feel like the Lord may be tugging on your heart this morning, at the conclusion of our gallery, at the conclusion of our, of our gathering, I would just invite you to swing by the groups area in our gallery. We have a team of people who would love the opportunity to begin the conversation about what it means to lead a group. There's an application process and a training process and all that stuff that's being worked out. However, we need people to lead groups. This morning, on your way in, you're asked to pick up a domino. I'm sorry that it wasn't pizza. Now everybody's thinking about lunch, but you're asked to pick up a domino. I'm going to ask everybody to go ahead and pull that domino out. Just hold it for the next few minutes as we talk about this. I don't know if you play dominoes or have played dominoes or are familiar with dominoes. There's lots of different ways to be able to play dominoes. There's, there's Mexican train, there's chicken foot, there's a whole bunch of other gays. But when I was growing up, I did what every other child would do with a domino. I would set them up on end just like this, a little bit further behind, a little bit further behind, and I would make my own train. And eventually, I would knock over the first one in the train, and it would set off this chain reaction. And in a matter of seconds... We have this hundreds or even thousands of dominoes that would topple over. Mark Batterson in the book Chase the Lion wrote that in 1983, Lorne Whitehead, who is a physicist at the University of British Columbia, did research and would discover that a domino 
capable of, the domino is capable of knocking over a domino that is one and a half times its size. So the domino that you're holding, the two-inch domino that you're holding, is capable of knocking over a three-inch domino. And a three-inch domino is capable of knocking over a four-and-a-half-inch domino, and so on and so forth. And what we would find out is that by the time you get to the 18th domino, applying the same principle, the 18th domino is capable of knocking over the leaning tower of Pisa. The 23rd domino is capable of knocking over the Eiffel Tower. The 29th domino could take down the Empire State Building. You see, in the realm of mathematics, there's two types of progression. There's linear progression and there's geometric progression. Linear progression would suggest that 2 plus 2 equals 4. 4 plus 4 equals 8. 8 plus 8 equals, and so on and so forth. But geometric progression is the value of the compound doubling. And it would suggest that 2 times 2 equals 4. 4 times 4 equals 16. And 16 times 16, you get the picture. You see, what would happen if if we were to take 30 linear steps... We would end up approximately 90 feet from where we began. But if we took 30 geometric steps, we would circle the earth 26 times. Faith is not linear. Faith is geometric. Every single decision, every step of faith has a chain reaction. And those chain reactions set off hundreds or thousands of other chain reactions. And we may never even know the impact of said chain reactions on this side of eternity. But I want you right now to think of the someone who leaned into you and challenged you in discipleship. And challenged you to lean into who you were created to be to set off a domino effect who challenged you to lean into a discipleship conversation at grace point we define being a disciple as being a fully obedient multiplier following christ you see the goal of every single group is to add people sure we like our circle but the goal is to multiply people to set off a chain reaction of domino effect that's the power of multiplication guys When a group multiplies, it's not a defeat, it's a victory. Why? Because faith is not linear, it's geometric. We're helping other people be free to walk in the the light as they were created to walk in. It is the power of a chain reaction of disciple multiplication. What if you were the domino who's leaning in to someone and helping them walk in the freedom that they were created to walk in? What if you were the domino helping someone walk in the light? So your challenge is simple. Would you take this domino? Would you put it on your car dash or your bathroom counter or somewhere you're going to see it every single day for the next several weeks or months or even years? And as you look at it, may it remind you to lean into the chain reaction of multiplication. Ask yourself, who is sharpening me and who am I sharpening? Why? So that we can be free to walk in the light. After someone is rescued from darkness, the issue is how will they walk in the light? And maybe you're here and if you were to just be honest, you can't walk in the life in the light because you have never been rescued from darkness. 
And if you were to just be honest with yourself and you've never been rescued with, from the darkness, the gospel is pretty simple. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are, are in darkness. Romans 6, 23 says that what we earn for being in that darkness is to be apart from God forever. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus alone. John 14, 6, Jesus would say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. You can hear that. You can memorize that. You can talk about that. But until it becomes a heart thing, it's just information. Because information doesn't automatically result in transformation. Wisdom, which is what we've been talking about this entire series as as we dive into Proverbs. Wisdom starts with a relationship with God. It's even more clear when Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption in Jesus, we see that wisdom isn't just information. It isn't just checking a box. It isn't just fancy instruction. Wisdom is a person. Jesus is God's wisdom on full display for all the earth to see. And this person did something that in the eyes of the world would look like foolishness. And he did it so that you and me can be rescued from darkness and be free to walk in the light with the expectation that we are disciple multipliers that we're not just sitting around talking about it, that we're doing it, that we're leaning in to gospel conversations with real people every single day, everywhere we go. Because you and I were created for community. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we were not created to do life alone. That when chaos happens, when care is needed, and when we need cultivation and we need to grow, thank you that community comes through. May we be people who lean into gospel conversations and set off a domino effect of disciple-making disciples. In Jesus' name.